0: And today I want to pick up on a theme that God has been highlighting for us in this season, the theme of identity. God's been really speaking to us about who we are in Christ and knowing that and experiencing that, which is such a vitally important thing. Your sense of who you are, and from that the sense of worth and sense of purpose and meaning you get in life is absolutely vital. And getting a good sense and a good experience of who you really are has the power to truly transform how you experience life. And it's really easy to know our identity, but not actually to experience it. We know what the Bible says, but actually we don't really experience it in our lives, in our hearts. Because the Bible says that every person who's repented and believes in Jesus, every person who's a follower of Jesus, is a child of God. That we're accepted by him, we are loved by him. It tells us that he delights over us, that he sings songs over us. He says in Isaiah, he's as excited about us as a bride, a groom, is excited about his bride John's gospel, Jesus actually tells us that God loves us with the same love that for all of eternity He's loved His Son. These are incredible truths about who we are, and they give us a position that is kind of solid and safe and secure. We can know that we're loved, we can have peace, we can have joy. And yet often we don't experience that. Often as followers of Jesus, we so easily feel unloved or alone or rejected, or unsafe, or guilty, or joyless, or hopeless. We're deeply affected by the words and the actions of other people and our life circumstances. And often actually both our emotions and our, uh, our kind of actions, especially patterns of sin in our life, reveal that we're not really experiencing who we are, and not really living now. It's easy to know who we are, but not actually to experience it. And I know this firsthand. Okay? I thought I knew about identity. A few years ago, I wrote and published a book about identity, what the Bible says about who we are in Christ, and the importance of knowing that. And in a sense, I did know about Christian identity, but I didn't realize I wasn't really experiencing it. And about 18 months ago, I had a fairly major meltdown. I woke up one morning, I went to my very normal routine, I got my breakfast, sat at my desk, opened my Bible, and I sat there and I thought, I think I'm going to cry. And I did, and I cried and cried and wept and wept, and I felt like in a moment, all that kind of hope I had in life had just gone and been taken away. And I entered a season of being quite depressed, and that actually wasn't a new thing for me. I had meltdowns like that at least once a year, to be honest, if not more, for most of my adult life in my late teen years. And so some friends who knew this was a big issue, knew this wasn't a new thing, helpfully encouraged and pushed me towards going to see a Christian counselor, who's a guy who basically has helped me work out what am I feeling And what does that reveal about what I'm believing? What am I not believing that God says? And what lies am I believing that actually are shaping my experience of life? And I found that I had a completely wrong sense of my identity. That even though I would literally written the book on identity, which, for the record, I still think is worth reading. Even though I pretty realised had we're loved and chosen, we're adopted with these new creations. Actually, I discovered the the controlling belief in my heart was that I was a freak and a weirdo. I realized that I didn't actually believe that anyone loved me or liked me. I realized that I didn't actually love or like myself, and ultimately I realized I never actually really deep down believed that God loved me, or God liked me. I saw this most acutely one day, I was at the gym, sitting opposite a mirror, sitting between sets, I don't to go to the gym to sit, and I look at this mirror, and I began to say, Psalm 139, being fearfully and wonderfully made for myself, and I couldn't do it. I couldn't look at myself in a mirror and say that I'd been fearfully and wonderfully made, and I kind of sat and I thought, I've got a problem. I need to do something about this. And once I kind of realized these lies were dwelling deep within me, I saw their effects all over my life. I was deeply lonely. I was easily rejected. I was desperate for love, affirmation, and connection with other people. And I had to go on this journey of rediscovering Christian identity, of really experiencing it. And God has been so good and so gracious, and through great difficulty and great pain, to be honest, he's brought me to a place where I know I'm a child of God. God loves me, God sings songs in me, God delights in me, God is excited about me. And what I learned is, I kind of knew about Christian identity, but I didn't have the foundations. I was trying to build on something where there was nothing there, or I was trying to have the flowers and the leaves without actually having the roots getting deep, deep down. And I think that could be quite a common experience, an easy way for us to live our Christian lives. And so what I want to do tonight is to help us see what does the Bible say about the foundation of Christian identity? The roots we need to put down. And then what really practical stuff do we do, Monday to Saturday, that in real life do we do to actually experience this? How do we put it into action? So we need to start with the, the foundation of Christian identity, kind of understanding how it works. Because actually, we all have a sense of identity, and we don't tend to think about where that comes from. In the world around us, there are various different ways of getting your sense of self and your sense of worth. Two are most common. A lot of people get their sense of who they are and their sense of worth from what other people think about them we actually more accurately what they think other people think about. In this kind of way of doing things, other people evaluate us according to a certain set of standards, and then they kind of project upon us what they think of us. So it might be that you're a good parent, or a good Christian, or just a kind of a good person. You meet the criteria, you tick off all the boxes, people think of you as a good person. You think, that yeah, that's who I am. That's where my meaning and purpose and worth comes from. Or actually that kind of identity can go really wrong and actually think, you know, people think I'm a failure or people think I'm a weirdo. that's a kind of external way of making your identity. But then increasingly in the modern West, especially for younger generations, we have an internal identity. People don't say what other people think about me. They look inside themselves and say, what are my feelings and particularly what are my desires? And they kind of find their true self within. And then regardless of what anything or anyone else says, they say, that is who I am and that's to be embraced and expressed this tends to be identities built on sexual orientation or gender identity or just a desire for success or to be an adventurer or conqueror, whatever it might be. It's an internal way of making identity. But the real problem is none of those foundations, neither of those ways of making identity actually work. You see, what we want from an identity is this solid, stable position, something that's not going to be taken away from us, a position where we know we're loved and valued, we get that sense of worth. Those things can't do that. Because if your identity is based on what other people think of you, what happens when they change their mind or what they think about you? If your identity is as a good parent, what happens when you have a bad day of parenting? If you're just a good Christian, what happens when you do something wrong and people no longer think you're a good Christian? It can't give you that solid, stable basis. And the internal thing doesn't work either. This internal identity built on our desires, our feelings, because our desires and our feelings, they change. So it's not a solid, stable identity. They conflict. What if I really want this, and I really want this, but I can't have both of them? Which one's really me? Which one do I embrace as me to find fullness of life? And actually, we'd all agree there are some desires we might find inside ourselves which we wouldn't say are who we really are and should be embraced. In our culture, if you looked inside yourselves and found a deep desire to raise bloodthirsty and kill lots of people, you're not gonna go, it's who I am. I've got to embrace it, this is the real me, the true me, you can't stop me. We wouldn't say that in our culture. The whole cultural narrative of find your true self is a sham. The culture tells us what to find, and we cherry-pick the desires we like and that fit what our culture says to make our identity. It's not actually a solid, firm way of making identity. We need something different. And the answer, the glorious answer God gives us is Christian identity. With a completely different foundation, which isn't based on what we do and how well or how badly we do. It's not based on how we feel, how we desire, how things change inside of us. It's all completely based on what God says. And that is rooted in what Christ has done. You see, basically, the utter foundation of Christian identity, the thing we have to build upon, is what God says about us. He's what we might call the validator. He's kind of the one who gives the thumbs up, the affirmation. Yes, this is who you are. This is who you are. This is where you get your sense of worth. It comes from God. It means only God's opinion of us matters. Only his voice really, really matters. Let's quickly skip through three places the New Testament tells us that should be the foundation on which we build. First of all, I think Luke 10, on the accounts of Jesus' life and death and resurrection, In Luke 10, Jesus has sent out 72 people to preach the gospel, to heal the sick, to cast out demons. And they come back to Jesus, and they are so excited about all the things that God has done through them. They're like, Jesus, we even cast out demons in your name. It's amazing. And Jesus says it is amazing. And he says his followers are going to have incredible authority, going to do incredible things. But he says, even though they're doing amazing things, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. He said, don't rejoice in the works you do, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoicing what God says. He says, don't get excited about the things you do. Don't base your rejoicing, your sense of worth, your sense of identity, on what you do. Even with really good stuff, base it on what God says. That your name is written in heaven. Your name is written in the book of life. That God says you are his. What God says is ultimate. Only his voice matters. But we can go to a different order in the New Testament, to Paul. And Paul's writing to the guys in Rome. Chapter 2, he's talking to Jewish believers who have just been told by him that they, like all people, have sinned and so are under the judgment of God. But actually they say, no, no, Paul, we're fine. We're circumcised. We've got the law. They'll protect us. They saw these things as like kind of magic talismans that would ward off the judgment of God so they thought they were fine. And Paul says, "Mm, it doesn't work like that. Actually, the only thing that brings true salvation from God is a change of heart. He says, circumcision of the heart. And then there's this kind of almost throwaway line at the end of this passage where he describes uh, what it is to be a true member of the people of God or or what an individual who's a true member of the people of God is like. He says, verse 29, his praise is not from man but from God. He says one of the marks of a, a true member of the people of God is that they're not bothered by getting praise from other humans. Actually, their praise comes from God. The voice they listen to is God's. They recognise that actually at base only God's voice matters. Regardless of what other people say, it's what God says which truly matters. And then we go to a third author, to Peter the Apostle. When he writes 1 Peter, he's writing to a bunch of Christians who are being persecuted, they're being mocked and maligned and uh, spoken badly of. And in the ancient context, that would have been really shameful to have people throwing insults at you and mocking you and put in this really shameful position but Peter tells them they to listen to the voice of God not to the voice of those around them he says in chapter 3 verse 14 even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake so even if you're in this incredibly shameful position you will be or you are blessed he's saying even if everyone around you thinks you're in this awful position shameful position God says you're blessed God says it's okay He's saying to them, listen to God's voice, rather than listening to the voice of the world or the culture that people are in. He's saying only God's opinion matters. The foundation on which we have to build and take hold of our Christian identity is knowing that only God's view matters. Only what God says really, really matters. And so, of course, that raises the key question of, who are you listening to? Are you listening to God or are you listening to the world or to the enemy or to yourself or to your circumstances? Whose voice is loudest in your ears? Whose voice is the voice and whose words are controlling how you feel and how you act? The only safe voice to listen to, the voice that brings us this solid, stable identity we know we're loved and secure, gives us a sense of worth is listening to the voice of God, what he says of us. And that position, then, is a solid, secure position because what God says about us, if we are a Christian, is based not on what we do and how well or how badly, not on what we feel in our desires. It's all based on what Christ has done. It's all based on a finished work. The basis of our identity is Christ's performance, so it's not dependent on what we do. It's not dependent on how we feel. God looks at you, and he sees you as a credit to you, all that is Christ. He sees the perfection of Christ upon you. There are all kinds of New Testament uh, themes and motifs we could bring out to make this point, but just to introduce one to help us see this is the idea of being in Christ, which Paul the Apostle talks about time and time again in his letters. And he kind of most clearly explains in Romans 5, verses 12 onwards. Romans 5, Paul is explaining that we know we've been saved now. And because we know we've been saved now, we can be guaranteed, we can be utterly certain that on Judgment Day, when we stand before the Judgment Seat of Christ, we will also be saved then. And part of the reason he says you can have that confidence is because of the nature of salvation, the way that God has saved us, because you've moved from being in Adam to being in Christ. You see, he tells us that God views all of humanity as in one of two groups. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. And these two groups both have like a representative figurehead at the top. On the one side there's Adam, the first human, the one who first rebelled against God, the one who got the sentence or the condemnation and the sentence of death and a separation from God. And on the other side there's Christ, the Son of God who came and lived a perfect life, who died and who rose again to life. And what Paul explains to us is that when we're in these groups, the actions of the figureheads affect all the people in their group. The actions of the one affect the many. It's a bit like if you think back to when you were at school, primary school particularly, it was for me, and someone would do something wrong, no one would own up to it, no one would know who'd done it, and so everybody got in trouble. The actions of the one were affecting the many, but then sometimes somebody would own up to having done it, and even if it wasn't actually them who'd really done it, everybody else would be let off, and they would take the punishment. Again, the actions of the one were affecting the many. It's a little bit like what Paul is saying here, the actions of these figureheads affect those in their group. Adam sinned and it brought condemnation and death and separation from God to all in his group. But Christ was obedient and it brought a life and justification that means a right legal standing before God. And Paul tells us that when we trust in Jesus, though we all start life in Adam, we're taken out of Adam, we're moved across, we're placed into Christ. And because we're in Christ, we get everything that he deserves. His obedience leads to our life, leads to our justification. God looks at us in Christ and says, you've done everything you should have done, and you've not done anything that you should not have done. That's what it means to be righteous. He says in Romans 5 eight, As one trespass, that Adam, led to a condemnation for all men, i.e. Really those in Adam. So one act of righteousness by Christ leads to justification and life for all men, for all those in Christ. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners in Adam, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous in Christ. We moved out of Adam and placed into Christ. And the most important thing to realise and recognise and remember is that is an irreversible move, an irreversible change. Sometimes we feel like we respond to Jesus and we're moved into Christ and it all feels great. But quite quickly, things go wrong. We're doing the old stuff again. We're doing the stuff that God, God doesn't like, and we've hopped back into Adam. But then we have a good day, and we hop into Christ. But it gets a bit bad again, so back in Adam. Good day, back in Christ. Bad day, back in Adam. So on and so on. We felt like we're hopping, healing out, healing out. That's not how it works. Paul says when you're in Christ, you are in him forever. It's an irreversible thing. So whatever happens, whatever you do, God looks at you according to what Christ has done. It is a solid, secure position. And so the foundation of Christian identity is what God says. We can always know that what God says will be good and will be unchanging because it's based on what Christ has done. It's not responding to who we are, what we do. It's responding to the finished work that God himself has worked. So we need to listen to God's voice. And so the, the foundation what you need to know and then live out to uh, understand and to truly experience Christian identity is this truth that it's going to be rooted in what God says. And that will always be shaped by what Christ has done. His voice and his alone is what matters. We need to listen to what he says. We need to believe what he says after what he says. And so kind of stepping in from knowing to experiencing Christian identity is about letting his voice be louder. It's about choosing to listen to his voice rather than any other. Choosing to believe his voice rather than any other. And so the key question is, well, how do we make God's voice loudest? How do we choose to step into that? And we've got to recognize this as an active thing. You see, all this stuff is true of us, and actually to experience it, we've got to be active. We're in a battle. We've got to fight and take hold of it, not because the victory needs to be won, but because we need to take hold of the victory being won for us. In fact, when Angela Kemp was here a couple of weeks ago, she brought a really helpful prophetic challenge from Joshua 18, where Joshua, so in the Old Testament, a guy who's um, uh, leading the people, he says to them, how long will you put off going in to take possession of the land God's given you? He's saying, God's promised this land. He said, it's ours. We're going to go and take it. How long are we going to sit around and wait until we actually stop? And we, why don't we go and enjoy what God's got for us? And Angela's was saying, she felt prophetically. God's saying, this is all true of you. How long are you going to sit around until you actually take hold of it? You're actually living it. you actually enjoy it and take hold of it. We've got to be active in this. And I think at least the, the fundamental thing I've learned in my journey about Christian identity in the last year or so is this statement. We don't wait until we feel it to believe it. We believe it, and then we grow to feel it. Which is really the opposite of what we instinctively feel. Don't wait to feel. It to believe it. Don't wait until you feel like you're a child of God, whom God loves and delights over and sings over until you believe it. it. Doesn't work that way. You know it's true because the Word of God says it. You don't need to feel it for it to be true. It's true because the Word of God says it. And therefore we go, I believe this to be true. I declare this to be true. I choose to live as if this is true, because it is. And the more and more we do that, the more we feel it to be true, the more we experience it. It's like when you fly to a different country, a different time zone. You, know, you get off the plane, you've been told it's now 10pm, but your watch tells you it's 5pm. And it's it really feels like it's 5pm. You don't, in that circumstance, go, well, when I feel like it's 10pm, I'll believe it's 10pm and I'll start living that way. You go, even though everything inside of me says 5 p.m., it's dinner time, not bedtime, actually, I'm going to choose to believe that. I'm going to choose to act as if that is true because you know that the faster you act as if it's true, the faster you will feel that it is true. That's what we've got to do. This thing is true, so we're going to choose to believe it, choose to act as if it's true, and that will help us grow to experience it. And really, the way we take hold of these truths, the way we let God's voice be louder, we listen to Him rather than listen to anyone else, it's kind of nothing new, nothing uh, particularly revolutionary if you've been following Jesus for any time at all. It's what we might call the core spiritual disciplines of developing a relationship with God, but they're vital to stepping into, taking hold of what God has for us. Top of the list is reading the Bible. The Bible is the primary place where God speaks to us about who we are. We don't have to sit around and say, oh God, please do you tell me who I am? He's already done it. And friends, we will never ever mature in Christian life. We will never ever truly experience our Christian identity if we don't read this book. If you don't know what it says, you don't let God speak to you through it, you will never flourish and thrive and enjoy all that God has for you, all that he wants. And one of the best questions to ask as you read the Bible is to ask, can this passage tell me anything about who I am in Christ? Because a huge number of the passages in the Bible will tell you something about who you are. We need to read it and we need to memorise it. You know, we're in a battle. There'll be times when these lies about who we are come to us. And we need to be able to fight against them with the word of God. And we need to memorise some key truths. We've got the kind of the ammunition lined up, ready to lock that grenade and that lie and destroy it when it comes out. Memorise it. Get it deep into you. Digest it. Let it live inside of you. And pray it. Again, a good thing is you read the Bible. It's just going to use it as a fuel for prayer, talking back to God as it speaks about your identity. Thank God for your identity. As you thank God for the Scriptures, your identity, you're glorifying God, which is good. That's what we're called to do, and you're reminding yourself of what is true. And as you do it, ask the Holy Spirit to help you. You know, the Holy Spirit He works through this Word because He's written this Word. And often actually saying to us, take hold of what I've already given you. That's how he's going to work in us. That's how he's going to speak to us. Ask, Holy Spirit, would you kind of open my eyes, open my heart to understand this, to experience it, to know and feel that it's true. And also we should take this truth and we should declare it. There's real power in declaring it. Especially actually kind of power in doing that verbally, deliberately. Declaring the truth and rejecting lies. Actually saying, I reject this lie. And declaring, oh, I believe this truth. A really key point in um, my journey, Paul May and I had spent some time last term. which spent about an hour in a prayer room out there, which is primarily me just listing all the many, many, many lies that have been controlling my life, and saying oh, I reject these lies, but saying oh, I embrace the truth of what God says. And as I declared it to Paul, I declared it to God, I declared it to principalities and powers. There's power in that. You're battling. You're doing warfare. And it didn't mean that everything was perfect after that, but some stuff changed. His power in declaring the truth. The word of God is the vital tool in living this out. At one point in my journey, a close friend reminded me of Zephaniah 3, which is a passage in the Old Testament of one of the prophets, which, in which God talks about the fact that he delights in us and he sings songs over us. As we rejoice in him, he rejoices over us. And she kind of sent this to me and I read it and stuff and I genuinely just could not believe it. I literally, I just could not get my head on it. thought that can't be about me. That can't be true. And being wise as I am, I spent three days trying to disprove the fact that it actually talks about us. But in the end, I had to concede, no, that is a wonderful prophecy about who we are. And so I had to choose to say, I can't believe it at the moment, but I'm going to take hold of it and choose to believe it. And so I read it, and I prayed it, and I declared it time and time and time again. And gradually, I grew to begin to believe it begin to actually feel. it, And now actually it's kind of the passage I want to go to every church and preach and declare to people. Another thing I do is, did is when I realised the lies that were controlling my life and that I needed to battle against, I got an A4 sheet of paper with two columns and I stuck on it loads of Bible verses which are particularly relevant to that, key truths that I needed to fight with and battle with. And I stuck it all over the place. It was one in my shower on my desk at home, my desk at work. one by my bed. And as I was having a shower, I'd pick a verse and I would read it and declare it and pray about it. As I went to bed, I would pick a verse and I'd have it in my head. I'd be reading it, declaring it, thinking about it as I was going to go to sleep. And at the beginning, most of them, I didn't really believe. But gradually, slowly, over time, I began to believe that I began to feel it. We will never grow in experience or identity if we don't take hold of what this book says. Read it, memorize it, declare it, take hold of it. And then also, prayer is important. It's spiritual identity. As we pray about things, there's something about it that helps us kind of connect more deeply. And so as I've already said, thank God for your identity. Pretty much the first thing I do every day now is I wake up, I thank God that I'm still alive, and I start thanking him for who I am. Because I'm glorifying him, and I'm reminding myself of who I am. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you. To open the eyes of your heart to see this. And also pray it for others. Now, when you're praying for other people, this is a great thing to pray for and They would know who they are in Christ. Again, because you're doing them good and you're reminding yourself. Pretty much any time I get to pray for someone in person now, I will start with this stuff because it can't hurt to pray it. And it can't hurt to remind them and remind myself of who they are in Christ. Praying helps us to take hold of this stuff. And so does singing. Pray helps us connect to things, and singing—just in something of how God has kind of wired us as humans—works things deeper into us. There's some depth and some power in singing that it can move things deep into our heart. Find and learn and know some songs that speak about who you are in Christ, and use them to do this into battle. I've got a Spotify playlist now, which is called "Getting Happy in God." And if I'm feeling a bit flat, or I wake up and I need a bit of stirring to really actually feel this stuff and really believe this stuff. I'll stick on those souls. I'll declare the truth of who I am in Christ and I'll do it until I feel it. And it works, it makes a difference. It's already true, I'm not gonna make it true. It is true. I've just got to remind myself and take hold of it and step into it. And then the final kind of really practical thing, how do we take hold of this actually is about being part of church family. I often say this, we as Christians are not saved and told to kind of go off on your own and try and figure out this identity thing, try and experience it on your own, It's just not what God says. We meant to do it together in community as family. We meant to help each other to experience our identity. And that's part of the reason we gather. As we gather like this, we're singing songs, reminding us of who we are, hearing scriptures, hearing the work which reminding us of who we are. But also just as we talk over coffee, or talk in connect groups, or, or talk in and out of each other's houses and our lives during the week is an opportunity to spare each other on, to remind each other. Look out for those opportunities where you can gently say, but maybe that's not who you are. God says this. I think this is how God feels about you. We can help each other in this. We can journey together and spur each other on in this. We're to Head back over this point. So, friends, if we want to re-experience really our identity, if we wanted to go from knowing it to experiencing it, making a deep impact, a deep effect into our lives, we need to make God's voice louder than any other voice. And we need to choose to believe it and act on it, so our feelings will follow. as I mentioned earlier, this is a really active thing. We have to fight for this. We have an enemy who can't change the truth, can't change who we are, but will do everything he can to stop us from experiencing, to pull us off course and cause us actually to live in the lies rather than to live in the truth. We've got to take hold of it, and it's a daily fight. I've no doubt that the more and more we do it, the easier it gets. But I'm pretty certain it's a daily, daily fight. I'm really not a morning person. So for me, the mornings, I don't wake up feeling like a child of God who's loved and delighted in. I wake up feeling pretty groggy and like I don't want to be awake. And so I have to daily fight and be active and be deliberate about taking hold of this. And what I want to do at the time we've got left now is just we kind of respond to it. I, I felt God say that actually what he wants to do is we respond. Because it's actually really about applying it in our lives. Because he wants to give us some strategy. We're in a fight, we're in a battle. And the things that help you in a fight and a battle are a strategy. They're knowing how the enemy works. And then they're knowing what kind of equipment you've got and what tactics you can use. We're going to some time. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us lies that we believe. And let me encourage you, don't assume that just because you know all this stuff, maybe you know the Bible or maybe you've been around for years, don't assume that you're not actually believing some lies. I knew all this stuff. I teach all this stuff. And actually, I was believing something different in the core of my belief. And God graciously revealed that to me. There might be a God wants to do that tonight. So if you start to engage God, you might want to stand up. You might want to sit down. You might want to lie down. Whatever really kind of helps you to engage God, then Dan, I'm sure we'll start kind of playing a bit. as We're just going to invite the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to kind of pray a bit and lead us through a bit so we can respond individually. And then really we'll see where God takes us, where we go with that. Father God, we thank you for the incredible identity that we have in you, that you loved us so much, that you have saved us and adopted us as your children, that you delight over us, you sing over us, that you love us as much as you've loved your son for all of eternity past. And we say we want to take hold of that. We want to uh, take hold of that and to experience that and enjoy that. We want to make you look really, really good by showing people how amazing you are and how happy we can Right, now, Holy Spirit, we invite you, we ask you to come and help us as we seek to think about how we put this into practice. Come and speak to us about some strategy. I pray right now, Holy Spirit, would you reveal to us lies that we're believing? Maybe things we've never noticed, things we've not realised are there and we're doing it, but I pray suddenly I a light and go on and know it. God might highlight a line, God might highlight to you a situation And he's asking you, The way you react to that situation, what are you believing when you do that? You might reveal to you a pattern of sin in your life that you hate and you wish you could change, and He's asking you, why do you do it? Actually, there's a lie lying behind that sin. Holy Spirit, come. Spirit, we ask, where well, you reveal lies, would you now come and reveal the truth to us? What is it that you say? Remind us of things you've heard this evening, remind us of things we know from your words, speak to us the truth of who we are. With the light of the truth, cast out the darkness of lies, triumph over them. And can we pray and begin to apply those truths into our hearts? equip us to live that out day by day to fight for this and to live in this, we ask. And I just think if there's a a truth that you need to use or a place to live, think what you're going to do this week, make a decision right now, these are the things I'm going to do, the practical tools I'm going to put in place. I can take hold of what's mine I can claim who I am I can live that experience that who we are. We're going to put this into practice and say even if I don't feel this, this is true. And so I'm stepping into it and then we'll be a little bit further.